1: Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing and thanks for coming back to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. Before I get too far into it, I just want to let you know that if you're one of my supporters at patreon.com slash ryanpba, number one, thank you, but number two, there's a video version of this podcast if you'd want to watch it. Uh, Lola does a full face of makeup on me, gives me a full makeover, and turns me into Urethra Franklin, which apparently is the drag name that Lola has given me. So you can go ahead and check that out. It's a really fun video episode, uh, but we've also got this audio episode for you too if you'd rather just listen to it as a, as a podcast. Um, We talk about a lot of different subjects. We'll get into all that in just a minute. Um, I am getting ready to leave for the uh, GEP conference in Brazil. I'll be there for a week. Uh, I'm going to try to grab some content for you there, and then it's off to... Um, my my private day of classes in uh, Chicago or the Chicago area on Monday, September 5th. That's Labor Day. If you'd like to sign up for that, uh, registration is still available. You can go to RyanPBA.com or you can email me at RyanPBA at gmail.com. A full day of classes, so I'll be doing Open Techniques workshop, talking about how to mark for symmetry, perform surface piercings, use septum clamps, a wide variety of topics can be brought up in one of those Open Techniques workshops. I'm also going to be doing my Ethical Sales Strategy class with a lot of different tips and tricks on how to sell all that really nice jewelry that you bring into your studio uh... more stuff to you know bevel theory needle bending is going to be a big focus i'm gonna bring a bunch of tools a bunch of material so you can try this stuff right in your hands uh... and registration is open now so go ahead and check that out after that uh, BMXNet in Germany, and happy to say I'm bringing my uh, my other piercer, Evan Quinno with me. So if you are in uh, Germany, say hi to me, but also say hi to Evan. He'll be a first-timer at BMXNet. Really excited there. Um, I don't know if I should really tell you another little bit of news, but as a teaser, there's going to be a new scarification instructor there, and I think we're going to be doing something pretty cool. So I'm um, looking forward to that one. Uh, n- more news on that one as uh, we get a little bit closer. After that, I'll be at UKAPP in Manchester. After that, I'll be doing some online curriculum for Professional Piercers Poland. And then after that, probably doing some online curriculum for the APP. So, busy. Probably too busy. Probably should take some time off. Uh, speaking of which, I also have a new video coming out for you at uh, patreon.com ryanpba on the Archmage tier. I'm working on a new Filtrum video. That should be out You know, within a a week or two of uh, of this publishing, I'm I'm getting down to the end of it, just kind of putting the little polishing, finishing touches, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into this podcast. It's a really fun one, and like I said, there's a video version on Patreon if you're more interested in that. It's available on all the tiers, $2 tier, all the way up to the $15 tier, so check it out if you're interested uh, it's kind of like a, an ask-me-anything sort of a thing, but they're just kind of different subjects that I've accumulated through conversations and comments on uh, you know different forums and submissions and all that stuff. So we talk about central eyebrow and bridge safety, uh, how long does it take to write a class, naval rejection and when it might be appropriate to re-pierce, anodizer safety... Uh, Comparing different manufacturers for staple pieces, so you know if you can get uh, a flatback librette from five different companies, how do you judge those different companies? How do you pick the company that you actually order from? We talk about that. Um, How often do you disinfect? What are the different protocols for disinfection? Uh, Viability for different kinds of industrial piercings. And then how to uh, maybe cut costs around the shop, but in a safe and responsible way. So it's a really good podcast, Uh, Lola and Urethra Franklin, so go ahead and check it out all right so we're recording a new podcast say hi to the ah that's very close <laughs> hi you know it's not the, the microphone is here <laughs> i
0: know it's just i tried to on my own face really big oh okay.
1: okay well we're recording a podcast and um whilst we record a podcast Lola is going to do my makeup yes so microphone is there just so you know yes okay go okay. commence do my makeup um we have a couple of questions that we got through the internets through like various forms and people being interested in stuff on patreon so we're just going to kind of use a, a few of those general subjects as a jumping off point and then we'll just you know have our regular witty banter um is there anything you want to talk about before we start getting into this
0: You know there are a lot of similarities between piercing and doing makeup more so than i realized before i started watching big um, person voice i have a big person voice i'm an adult um you know like watching little makeup tutorials and things and uh, there's tons of videos out there about like doing makeup wrong or in an unhygienic way which is what i'm totally about to do because i'm a piercer and not a makeup artist and like you know i just wanted to give a shout out to all the angry makeup artists if there are any that have to endure this
1: okay well yeah all right mm-hmm. so uh i have new stuff mm-hmm. at patreon.com ryan pba i made a needle bending video and while i've been here i've been working on a vch, VCH video um vertical clitoral hood that should be done soon, and I've got some seminars. Oh, you are writing... Do my makeup! Do my makeup! Right, sorry. Um, you have a new class that you're writing about bridge piercings yeah. for, uh, I think it was BMX originally, but you might be doing it at UK APP? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so why, why bridge piercings?
0: Hang on a sec. I'm going to spritz you. Okay, spritz me. Okay, close your eyes.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, so bridge piercings for me are just a personal favourite. So uh, it's very selfish of me to want to write a bridge piercing class because it's easier for me to write about things that I enjoy. Um, so that that's primarily why. But um, the main reason I thought now would be a good time to write the bridge class that no one has ever asked me to write ever is um, just the massive surge in popularity when it comes to bridge piercings. Um, Because of the pandemic and mask wearing, people will adapt socially when they want to show off body piercings. Um, So because people were not able to get under the mask piercings, or even if they were able to get them, they weren't able to show them most of the time more people started seeking you know things like the centre eyebrow piercing, eyebrow piercings and bridge piercings Um, and I think whenever there's a piercing that's I wouldn't say like it's a rare piercing but it's not a piercing that studios often do day in day out so it's rarer in that sense When there is a sudden massive surge of a piercing that's not super popular you inevitably start to see more and more mistakes because people are confronted with more and more variation in anatomy same thing happened with septum piercings when they became massively popular the same thing happened with doth piercings when they became massively popular Um, so i thought it would be good to do a a complete fundamental this is how to do a bridge piercing class
1: Yeah. yeah i think it'll be really good um, that kind of ties me into a question that that we got, or somebody like wanting us to talk about something is just the general safety of like a central, hold on you got a little thing in your ear. What? No, it's just a little fluff. Um, somebody was asking about the, the safety of central eyebrow piercings, and I, you know, I was thinking that they were talking about like here, not like all the way in on the inside, did you forget something? One thing. What did you forget?
0: Eye primer
1: eye primer. It's
0: very important. It's a totally different type of primer.
1: Well, go get your eye primer. I'll edit this. I'll I'll, I'll talk about patreon.com. No, I'm not really going to do that. I'm just going to stop recording. Okay, so you have the eye primer. Crisis averted. Yes. Um, So, you know, talking about like central eyebrow piercings, Mm -hmm. and um, I think we were both kind of confused when we saw that because i i think the first question we asked ourselves out loud was like well what safety concerns so what, what do you think that the person was meaning do you think that they are nervous about like i don't know do they consider it to be deeper tissue or more of a surface piercing there or why do you think somebody would be nervous with like a central eyebrow piercing or, or even a bridge
0: well i mean it could just tie in to like what I was just saying about bridge piercings is that there are people that like the bridge may very rarely do an eyebrow may very rarely do a bridge and Mm -hmm. then doing a center eyebrow it might be something that they've never ever done before Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't want to say that there aren't any extra risks because it's not something that I've researched heavily to be honest but taking into consideration the risks for eyebrows and the risks for bridge piercings i'm not aware off the top of my head of any that are unique to center eyebrow piercings i would say it was maybe more uh, lifestyle related to be honest like okay. um what considerations would you give um to placing these piercings at the furthest most furthest outmost point on the face um if that makes sense so eyebrows are a little um past center bridges Mm -hmm. are often recessed Mm -hmm. into the tissue
1: so these would just be kind of like out there
0: yeah my biggest concern wouldn't be that there was something about that piercing that area itself that was significantly more dangerous than anything else around the eye um i would be more concerned about like lifestyle factors like is this somebody that um and again this is similar to What we would talk about with eyebrow piercings is this someone who waxes their eyebrows plucks their eyebrows wears a lot of heavy eye makeup um what style of glasses is the person wearing Mm -hmm. um are they required to wear um like you know some people have to wear goggles as pp for work that kind of thing yeah um so my my first thought would be more like the practical um you know what is it that happens when they leave the studio
1: well that makes sense because anytime i do anything on the face now, I really have to hammer home.
0: Smile for me, but like, "Mm."
1: I am smiling. No, you're
0: not. Like, thank you. Um,
1: anytime I do anything on the face now, I really feel the need to drive home. Like, be really careful not to bump it, especially during the first few days when you're not going to be used to it being on your face. But also, do you wear any makeup? Do you use any sort of facial wash? Um, you know, just be cautious pulling a shirt over your head, all those various things. So I, I, could, I could see that. I, I wouldn't really see any anatomical safety concerns, more so than like a standard eyebrow piercing. Um, I, although I, I have had plenty of people tell me that they were nervous to do bridge piercings because they were worried about nerves in the area, blood vessels in the area. For me, with being comfortable with anatomy, um, I don't, I don't feel that I'm piercing through an area that has any significant uh, vascular issues or, like, innervation or anything like that. I mean, you're always going to have some small blood vessels and in innervation no matter where you pierce in the skin, but you, you'd want to be comfortable with anatomy to understand the depth of, like, the significant nerves and significant blood vessels and mm-hmm. how you're not really puncturing or penetrating those when you're, when you're doing most body piercings.
0: Well, I mean, I don't want to, like... Um... Give away give away my material but um i would have to disagree with you a little bit in okay. the sense that um you know bridge piercings are, are definitely on an area that anatomically um has like a facial artery
1: yeah right but they, and, they they run it.
0: um, and it's, yeah uh, i know i know what you mean but like that's why with bridge piercings there is that fear hmm. of like it just bleeding uncontrollably or uh, you know when you see people get their um their nose broken and the bridge of their nose just bleeding uncontrollably Mm -hmm. um it is an area that i would say deserves a little bit more care Mm -hmm. um not that there's areas that don't deserve care but you know what i mean um little little branches and little scary blood vessels there's Mm -hmm. going to be a spritz certainly abound in the area of bridge piercings yeah that's something that i'm gonna cover quite heavily in the class as to how to manipulate the tissue properly and how to minimize risk um, but a word i always like to use is minimize mm. not eliminate okay. um, because i don't think in piercing you can eliminate all risk yeah i mean if
1: you're breaking the skin you're breaking the skin
0: yeah so i definitely appreciate and understand why it can be a scary place to pierce but in a lot of ways You know, is it scarier than piercing a philtrum? Is it scarier than piercing a nipple? Mm -hmm. Um, I've certainly seen a couple of nipple piercings um, bleed uncontrollably, um, which isn't something that's happened on a regular basis. Can you
1: can you nudge back just a tiny little bit? You're pushing my ankle down on the floor, and it's kind of painful.
0: Um, but. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean any any piercing anywhere on the body has the potential to go wrong or be scary and it's more likely to do that if you don't know what it is you're doing Uh so it's again another part of the reason I wanted to specifically work on this class um but center eyebrow piercings um the main extra considerations that I would give for them I would have to say would be lifestyle related Mm -hmm. I mean most people that get central eyebrow piercings are getting them on both sides you know whereas most people that I pierce that are getting an eyebrow will still most commonly get them on the one side and Mm -hmm. we'll get some that are paired but um, we still do a lot that are on one side so if someone is getting paired center eyebrow piercings um, is that going to affect you know if they're slept on heavily for example or glasses too it Um, might
1: potentially get you know bumped or caught on glasses too
0: yeah so for me like my my thought process wouldn't jump immediately to anatomical and it would be more lifestyle, lifestyle related but okay. um there's definitely a lot you can go into that's really interesting about bridge anatomy um and i'm just really excited to get the class produced and instruct it to be honest because it's it's interesting to me so i just hope it's interesting to someone else
1: well i'm, I'm looking forward to it i, I... I don't recall seeing very many bridge piercings. I gotta move my legs. You're like crushing my feet nails. And you put your legs
0: over my legs.
1: Well, why don't I just do this? You can keep your legs right where they were. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, so, when you write a class, that okay. So we we, we just came back from the APP conference. Um, we've taught loads of classes in the past. You, you know, you've been on the administrative team of an organization. I've been on an administrative team so you kind of see how the sausage is made when it when it comes to curriculum <laughs> when it comes to curriculum. How long does it take you to write a class? Like let's say this is a ninety minute class on a subject you're already pretty familiar with. Like how long does it take you to prepare something like that?
0: I mean it depends really, because sometimes I I would say um the bridge class i've been working on in my head for like a very long time and i've been gathering um like data and photographs and video and, and that kind of stuff for a while now but in terms of like the actual visual presentation um that i'll work on for that's a hair you have like a <laughs> tiny bit of fluff um mm-hmm. that i'll work on for about uh, a month okay. um, so i'll spend about a month creating um the the presentation itself mm-hmm and um, working on the running order of the presentation and how it's going to be delivered Um, i know that you find um, speaker notes helpful when you're presenting but only Um, for like
1: bullet points like uh, compared to somebody like jeff i I saw some of his his material and he he puts a lot more kind of scripted text for his notes which is really helpful um but for me I, i i'm more of a walk and talk animated person and i want to feel a little bit more spontaneous i guess the downside is sometimes you forget that one or two you know one or two little things that you want to hit on though.
0: well i think that's interesting that um like jeff has a very heavily scripted style your style is to have more bullet points to help keep you on track my style is to have no notes of any kind because as soon as i start if i'm doing a presentation and i start Uh, reading the notes, I'll immediately forget what it is that I'm saying and then I'll just be reading the notes and then everything will fall out of my head. Mm -hmm. So what I have to do, do a big smile for me, thank you. What I actually have to do is just very, very heavily rehearse the class. Yeah. So once I've finished making the presentation, which takes me so long, not because because it's the best presentation in the world, but because I'm very bad with technology, so that's probably why it takes me a month. Um, is I'll then have to like rehearse the class um, and learn everything that's in it and like remember what's coming up on all of the next slides. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I make little notes for myself, I either won't read them because they'll be really small. Or um, I will read like exactly what it is they say and then I'll forget everything that's in my head. Um, Or I'll jump the gun and just say what's on the notes before I read the notes and then go to read the notes so like I think people's learning styles and people's teaching styles are very very different
1: Um, I like your teaching style though
0: well like anxiously over preparing and over rehearsing material
1: all the best instructors anxiously over prepare like the you can tell going to conference the people who spent like five hours and the people who spent five weeks preparing a class. Like you can see it, Um, you know, people that are uh, just reading notes off of a phone or something like that, or they're really just not comfortable with the material. Like they didn't practice it. They didn't practice speaking it out loud. They didn't practice it in front of someone or they've never taught that subject matter before. Like your classes are, are really good. They're, they're very confident. They're very informative uh there there are lots of really good instructors out there but you can also tell that there are instructors who are just kind of starting out sometimes my fear constantly thinking about like that what's the next generation of education going to be the next generation of leadership like there's the balance of well how are they going to become experienced if they don't you know do it and try it and you know occasionally not do a great job get constructive criticism and then they do better the next time how do you how do you create that next generation without having that learning process for instruction. Um, Sometimes it's a little bit painful to watch. I know I went through it and it was a little bit painful to live through, like instructing classes and not really knowing how to deliver that information, but um, I think you're a great instructor. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with your eyes.
1: What's one of the options?
0: Well, they're not up to you
1: so for other piercings i uh i wanted to kind of say it on the podcast I, i've been getting multiple requests for like naval and floating naval um information and if, if people are already on my patreon i already made um two full narrated and subtitled videos one on Uh, traditional navel piercings and like more of like a vertical forward facing placement and then also I made a video on floating navels that kind of like how would you even say it? Downward facing kind of position?
0: Like a horizontal?
1: Yeah, maybe not totally horizontal but you know one where you can see both sides of the jewelry facing forward and one where you really only see the top of the jewelry facing forward because the other is kind of tucked away into the navel but I have those two videos there, um, I, I don't know if it's like cyclical or or styles, you know, navel piercings fall out of fashion for six months or a year or something and then they come back with a, a vengeance and people are, are nervous about doing them because it's not like a day-to-day piercing and that could be navels or that could be central eyebrow piercings, bridge piercings or, or anything, you know, like there are plenty of piercings where There were points in my career where it was like constant and now it's like a a rarity. So maybe that's what navels are for a lot of people or maybe it's seasonal.
0: Navels make me nervous. Yeah. Because I'm like, um, I can be quite, uh, you know, when you kind of mirror your client's mood a little bit unintentionally or Mm -hmm. intentionally. Um, Well, like for me, naval clients are clients that routinely come in incredibly nervous. Yeah. And that makes me nervous because they're nervous and it's the two of us. And if they have this mega nervous energy, sometimes it makes me nervous, which is an awful character attribute as a piercer, because you're trying to like make them really calm and help them get them in a good headspace. Um but I found that um you know like with navel piercings, along with nipples, it can be one of those body parts that people are incredibly insecure about. Mm, their like, belly. Yeah, that um, like I routinely had, I, I literally had a client in just two days ago maybe, who said that um, one of their boyfriends had told them they had a weirdly shaped belly button. And uh, I just remember like, you know, when you kind of, you you don't have a filter on your brain and mouth. And I was just like, what a dick. Yeah. You know, like, well, you don't. So fuck that guy. Like yeah. there's nothing else. There's not. nothing so, else you can say, is there?
1: As a side note, before we talk more about navels, like what is it with men? thinking that they can just, like, tell their their partners, like, you know, oh, is there something wrong? Do you have a medical condition? <laughs> this and that, whatever. When it's, like, dicks are, like, some of the weirdest an- anatomy ever. Just, like, if anyone out there listening has ever been told by, like, a partner, like, by a, a, a male partner Whatever terminology
0: anyone with a penis anyone with a
1: penis has told you that there's something weird about your body remind them that their dick is weird looking Yeah, so you know shut up.
0: It's like a little xenomorph.
1: Yeah um Nails, i don't get nervous about because i've done thousands of them like i do them so often are they not like a, a super common piercing over here no,
0: not really but for me the nerve is more like um it's not i don't get nervous about the procedure i get nervous about their reaction like i mm. really hope they like it because mm-hmm. they've come in feeling quite nervous and quite self-conscious about a body part they're obviously wanting to have this piercing done mm-hmm. What if they look at it and it's not it doesn't give them what they wanted, you know, like that makes sure. me, that definitely makes me feel nervous. So I don't get nervous about the procedure. Do you get
1: nervous right up to the point where they look in the mirror at the end or do you feel like a lot of those nerves go away after you get past the marking phase?
0: I think I feel nervous right up until they look at it. Okay. I feel like I mean when you're marking and you can give someone a really good idea of how it's going to you know look I'm very detailed in my marking as much as possible so I try and go beyond just like tiny dots Mm -hmm. I'll often draw on larger pieces of jewelry to give people an idea of the scale um so I like to make it as 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 little of a surprise as possible as to what it's going to look like um but yeah I get with navels I get nervous I would say more I'm definitely more nervous about navels than I am with nipples okay um but it's just one of those things where it can mean so much to someone. I just so badly don't want to screw up. Sure. And then ironically that's well, the thing that's gonna make you nervous. What's your <laughs> nervous. concept
1: of screwing up with a navel? Because like you're you're a really skilled piercer and I wouldn't imagine that you would air quotes screw up a piercing to the point where it wasn't vinable like what what is a screw up for you like they just don't love it or
0: i just mean screw it up in the sense that it's not whatever it was they were thinking in their heads okay. um, because i can convey what i can do and they can convey what they want but sometimes those things they don't like they don't they aren't perfect with each other for example say someone has a lot of scar tissue on their navel for mm-hmm. whatever reason there's tons of reasons that you might have a scar there um, and they're wanting to have another piercing done mm. to detract from that. I've had many clients say that in the past. You're like, talking about like a rejection scar it, it or a surgery be, it scar? It could be surgery, it could be rejection, it could be um, just that their navel is in an altered position. A mm. lot of people's navels become in an altered position after they go through pregnancy and mm. that kind of thing. So, like the wrinkly navel. Um, yeah, um, so it's, it's and there's lots of things like that. And um, I can convey like, well, I need you to look up, look up with your eyes um i can convey like you know here here's where it's going to sit here's how it's going to look but if someone has um, an expectation that it's going to eliminate the scarring that it's there i have to be like you know the scarring is still going to be there you're still going to see it this will be there as well and over time you know you are going to look at that as the focus and you're going to notice the scarring less but it'll still be there and you'll still be able to see it so i try and give people a realistic expectation of what it is I can do because I do have that fear that they'll um, you know look in the mirror and I had I, I did have more earlier experiences like that when I was a piercer that's maybe made me um, like hold in on it a little more where someone will look in the mirror and they'll be like oh it's okay but I can still just see the scar and I'm like yeah you' well, won't yeah. You'll always be able to see yeah. it so I, 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 I try to that.
1: have a conversation about that too but the other thing is I I would say, eight times out of ten, seven times, eight times out of ten, if somebody comes in and they have a rejection scar, I'm probably telling them that it's not able to be pierced again. Because Mm. sometimes people come in and they're like, they always say the same thing. Oh, it tore out. And it's like, it didn't tear out. It slowly rejected. You didn't understand that it was rejecting. And then it eventually got to the point where it was just being held in by a scab. Mm. And then it tore out. It wasn't like a, a, a traumatic thing where you like caught it on a kitchen counter and a ripped. Yeah. It. some people but not most most people it's a slow process but when you have that kind of scar tissue you have tissue there but you don't have intact tissue with healthy blood flow yeah. so uh, I'll talk to somebody uh, how, how long has it been since you wore it if it's like if we're talking three months and not three years then it'll probably be like a no you know if it's dark tissue if it's brown or red or it's darker than their normal skin tone or something or shiny It's like no, because this is still actively trying to heal, it's not going to have healthy blood flow for the piercing.
0: Um, that's another kind of pet hate of mine as well is when um, doctors will do a surgery, something like um, a tummy tuck, and there'll be a lot of scarring around the navel, which Mm -hmm. is usually like if you if you go to a good surgeon, can look really really good, yeah, but um. With my clients, like I instruct them to wait a year yeah. before having to let scarring not heal, but fully mature mm-hmm. um, so that it can soften and you can really see what you're left with because it will it it'll continue to change for that amount of time. Um, and I've had a couple of people over the years be like, well, my, my surgeon signed off on it. They signed off on it. Sure. And I had surgery three months ago and they've told me I'm good to go for whatever. And I'm like, just because they've relinquished responsibility for you because Mm -hmm. your surgery's healed and you're past the point of, you know, complication from the surgery itself, doesn't mean that the sky is is fully healed. That those are two different things.
1: I try to I try to talk to people and say like especially if it's a a, a tummy tuck, abdominoplasty type scenario, or you know, a, a similar conversation with certain breast augmentations. Um, you went through a lot of work to modify this body part that you might not have been comfortable with before. Yeah. I don't want to just take that body part that you've done all that work and spent all that money on and healing and whatever and just put a rejection scar on it. So, like, yes, your doctor might have relinquished responsibility, relinquished uh, liability at this point, because what they did for you was healed. Right. But me as the body piercer, I can't accept liability and just, like, you know, give you a scar when you want a piercing. So, wait until the one year point, then come in. Let's do another evaluation. We'll check for for healthy blood flow, tissue pli- uh, vi- uh, pliability, uh, piercing viability, all that stuff. But yeah, I, about a year is how long I tell people to wait. Uh, when it comes to like rejection scars, though, sometimes people don't don't come to me, don't come to you. They go somewhere that's just like, yeah, sure, I'll take your however much dollars or pounds and just give you another piercing so some people have like multiple rejection scars and at that point it's like just just please stop yeah. it's never going to heal if you have that kind of scar tissue it's never going to heal you might be able to have a piece of jewelry in there for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple months but it's just going to grow out again
0: i get the same with the ear reconstru- uh, earlobe reconstruction as well i've had that a few doctors times say like where, um, six weeks well yeah they just they pretty much are talking about like you know when your stitches come out yeah. and you know you um the wounds have fully healed i think it is just like you're saying that their liability has been relinquished um you know they've the work has been successful yeah. and anything you do after that you do at your own risk mm-hmm. um, that's really what that means it doesn't mean that it's gonna work also like
1: you know i don't understand a lot of the different uh surgical considerations you know wound care and all those things i understand the generalities but like
0: oh, up with your eyes open
1: I think when you ask a doctor or a medical practitioner, can I get this pierced again? They're, they're thinking, like, is it safe to put a needle through this area? Not, is it viable to heal a fistula with healthy blood flow and blah, blah, blah. So I think they're answering a different question than you might be asking. So, yeah. But anyway, I've got two videos on Patreon on needles yeah. if people are interested in any of that stuff. Um, I, while I'm here... You know, I brought, obviously, my camera equipment so I want to record some stuff with you in your shop tomorrow. Yeah. Um, sneak, sneak peek, little insider news. The APP is going to have some online education later this year, like they have in the last few years. Um, I'll be putting together some material um, about safe practices in the piercing room. And while I'm here, I wanted to record a couple things at your studio so that not everything is just in my shop. <laughs> um, but I also want to record a couple other little things too, because I I get questions about anodizing lately, and um you're very, very good with anodizing, especially when it comes to green, which is a very challenging color to make, but not the vibe. Um so you you have some some procedures and pro are you blocking the camera with your head? Well, oh no no, I'm gonna just move to this a little do bit. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Um uh so you have a bunch of different procedures in place about safety, safety yeah. because it's an electrical process like it's it's current going through uh like a, a bath there are um, you know electrodes and, and different stuff and and you can cause arcs you can cause shocks you, you know there there is an electrical risk um I, I wouldn't really say it's a, a fatal risk, but you know, it's a, it's a risk. Oh no, so,
0: it's a fatal risk. It can, you can stop your heart. That's, at least that's what Brian says. I'm sure can't stop my
1: heart, no. you know, it beats on as long as you love me
0: mm-hmm.
1: anyway. <laughs> um, so what are, what are some of those safety protocols? Because for me, it really, it's just rubber gloves and pay attention to grounding.
0: Well, that's the interesting thing where you say rubber gloves is that at that point, if I was, if I was Brian, if Brian was here in spirit, He would tell me to tell you that, you know, not all rubber gloves are created equal and the marigolds you use to wash your dishes are not necessarily, you know, electricity proof. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing, if you're going to even bother with gloves, is to make sure they actually do something, Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise there is no point to them. But for my safety procedures, I uh, have to credit my dad (laughs) with them because um, he's where I got the the frame of of mind of... um, you should never be more than one mistake from death um, <laughs> because he's a diver and when he first started diving when i was younger i was like dad wait don't uh, you mean
1: only one mistake away from death
0: is that not what i said no
1: you said you should never be more than one mistake away from oh, death. oh
0: i meant oh, you should never be um only one mistake away from death you're right is what i meant and uh, when he started diving um i was like you know how are you not gonna die whilst you're diving you know what if something happens and you know you're you can't get oxygen or there's some kind of thing and he kind of talked me through that all of the various fail-safes and and, um situations that are in place for for stuff like that and all the things that would have to go wrong in order to result in death basically were
1: any of them a giant squid uh
0: no. no
1: um
0: so uh for me when it comes to like operating dangerous equipment that's very much the, the thought process that I follow is that I should be able to do one thing wrong I mean it, it's a bad idea but I could do one thing wrong by well, accident be because I could make a, I could make a mistake mm-hmm. and nothing would happen I can make two mistakes and nothing would happen um, so with my anodizer it's always off at the wall mm-hmm. the dial's always set to zero and my anode and cathode are unplugged no. um and they're kept separate from each other so if I turn on the unit all of a sudden, nothing's going to happen because it's off at the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, if I turn it on at the wall and I've accidentally left the unit on, uh, the dial is set to zero. So nothing's going to happen. If I turn it on and I've accidentally left it on and the dial is set to 100, um, my anode and cathode aren't plugged in, you know, so it would be impossible for me to like electrocute myself. Like walk by and accidentally yeah. shock yourself. Um, and I think if you're not doing that, the point is, if you're doing all of the stuff that you're doing and I'm doing, then it's not any more dangerous than, you know, that's like um, any more dangerous than anything else. I mean, like the chemicals that we use are dangerous if you ingest them and get them in your eyes. If you ingest kind of them, thing. yeah. So, but you don't do that. And you have safety procedures in place for what would happen if that did somehow accidentally happen mm-hmm. so um, just the same as any other safety procedure really it's not scary
1: yeah I, I don't want people to think if they've, if they've never used an anodizer before I don't want them to think that they're playing with like a taser um, like there there are some simple safety things that you'd want to understand but that that's going to go with any equipment in a studio an autoclave an ultrasonic chemicals anything you need to understand the safety elements of it um, Do you have any, I don't don't know if if I even want to ask, like, do you have any tips and tricks for anodizers? Do you have anything, like, short and simple? Are you polishing your jewelry before you anodize it? Are you changing your TSP daily? What are you doing? I don't change my TSP
0: unless it looks... (laughs) <laughs> it looks like it needs a change looks highly scientific yeah um i will polish jewelry i don't have a i don't have a polishing wheel but i will give jewelry a hand polish mm-hmm. for, like with a cloth uh with a polishing cloth um and i have some gentle metal polish as well that you can use just with, a, polish. with a hand polishing cloth and it's just to remove the natural oxide layer on the surface of the jewelry where it's been sitting in the cabinet just like Reacting to the, the air and the moisture and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and that's just gonna allow for a smoother result. I think mm-hmm. um, but Yeah, there's, there's lots of little things. It's hard to put it down to anyone. Well,
1: let's let's save that for the inevitable video that I'll put on patreon um, Let's see company preference somebody was asking like all right, there are plenty of companies out there gold companies titanium companies that make essentially the same item but You know, you're not ordering from just like whoever has an item. Like you have your preferences for who you're ordering your librette backs from, your barbells, your your rings, your prong attachments, bezel attachments, cabochons, all, all, all this different stuff. You have your preferences. So what are some of the factors that go into that? And to start it off, I'll say that for like prong settings, I want them to be as low profile as possible and I don't want them to be very pointy. The the prong that wraps around the stone. I don't want them to be pointy and catch on things.
0: Open up for me. Um I find it quite a hard uh, question. Oh god. That feels <laughs> terrible. Oh my lord.
1: You're just
0: doing your
1: waterline. Okay. I gotta do the top as well. Thanks. So just you know just uh, relax your eyes. I, I can't just... relax my eye when you're trying <laughs> to put a thing in my eye. Oh my lord you do this every day okay no i'm
0: relaxed <laughs> i can't do it <laughs> um well okay. for me for the god uh damn it. for the
1: i'll
0: <gasps> <the, laughs> uh, wait for the ordering thing yeah um
1: Just fucking do it man
0: there's a lot that goes into it um so like i don't really feel like i could say what it is like uh, for everything
1: uh, like god damn it all
0: right but i think having consistency for clients can be good so for example there are certain things that i'll always get from certain companies just because it's an item that i sell a lot of Mm -hmm. and i want my clients if they're getting spares if they're getting replacements to not be confronted with a slightly different one each time sure like the white like my white opals i'll always get from Metal. Mm -hmm. i might get other colors and things when i make well i don't really want to talk about brand names too much but you know but i might get if i'm ordering from a different company i might add on some fun colors and different shapes and sizes that i wouldn't usually get if i'm making an order just to to get you know variety yeah but things like you know like staples
1: yeah like staples uh, you order from staple
0: companies yeah i would get from the one company just so that it wasn't constantly changing because i have had that before um you know years previous where you would get like white cz's from different companies and they just look the tiniest bit different yeah. and if we're doing like paired lobes paired nostrils it just it won't go um so if you need uh, little replacements for people that have um, a style of jewelry that you no longer use. It's just helpful if your staples are consistent for me. Yeah. Um, but I like to I like to try new things all the time. So I
1: don't like to try new things. I like to try new things out of necessity. Like, if one company kind of prices themselves out of viability for something. Um, when gold prices really started to hike up a few years back, that's when I started okay. looking at other vendors for like my prongs because I. I a white gold two millimeter uh, prong set CZ was like a staple item. And if those start to kind of tick up in price to the point where it's a little bit outside of the price range that customers will be comfortable with, I started looking at other vendors. But then when I would bring in those items from other vendors, I wouldn't like it. Because as an example with prong sets, you know that you get those companies where they're very low profile and some that really stick up or some that really have like a, the bottom's not very flat, and it tends to rock from side to side, or the the actual piece of metal that the, that is the prong of the setting is very pointy, and it tends to catch on like towels and clothes and fluff all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's, that's what goes into it. Reliability, dependability, it's not always the price. Sometimes I will pay a slightly higher price because... Mm-hmm the the viability is where i where i want it to be when it when it comes to other things like um like let's say the the pins on on a threadless piece like i want them to be consistent um i don't want to deal with a company where i'm going to have a lot of pin breakages sometimes if it's a new vendor you can you can have issues with that i think every time a new vendor comes out where they do pin style jewelry there's always this inevitable phase where some other pins break because it's a learning phase it's a learning process but um, most of those companies will figure it out really quickly because they're sick of having to do repairs constantly um, but i
0: think it's a learning process for us as piercers too because you know i can have like you know six or seven different companies their pins might be made of completely different materials um, so it's important for me to be familiar with how I'm bending the sure. the various brands because they're not all bent the same way. So steel I
1: pin, 14 karat pin, 10 karat pin,
0: 18 carat pin yeah. we've had before. And then there's, you know, solid titanium pieces mm-hmm. and they are going to need to be bent and handled slightly differently. So if people aren't aware of that and if they're just applying the exact same bends and going, Oh, this company's terrible, you know, I'm getting a, a terrible bend with this, but they're doing the exact same bend as they would with, sure. a, with a titanium piece. To a gold and steel piece or a solid gold piece, I just think that it's worth you know trying out different things if you're if the material that you're bending is literally a different material. Um,
1: Other stuff with vendors is um, well okay maybe I can talk about a couple different things that have frustrated me. Not listing any specific vendor, but um, it's frustrating when the prices are not consistent from one order to another. Like I understand market prices changing and all that stuff, but Sometimes if you order jewelry every month, if the price is different every month, that's that's not market, right? That's not market fluctuation. Mm-hmm. Um, that can just be, I don't know, some weird thing. That That's frustrating because... We're
0: doing eyeliner, so you have to relax. Oh, great. Um, and look
1: down. Customers really need like a consistent price on something. If they come in in January for like a, a flatback and then they come in in June for a downsize, I don't want the flatback to like, you know, have an absurd uh, price fluctuation Um,
0: I feel like in the UK I have a little bit of a well a similar experience but with the the exchange rate yeah you know like the pound against the dollar right. fluctuates so much yeah, i that, don't think that about that all, stuff that can also cause a big fluctuation in price like buying a, a gold ring from a company one year yeah um even if the price of the gold piece stays the same if the pound or the dollar strength changes i'll me, be paying holding against my face i'm holding Can't. up your eyebrows so that your eyelid doesn't
1: okay. so that you don't um get stuck yeah. I don't, I don't think about that. Like being, you know, a us peers are ordering essentially everything from us companies. Uh,
0: clients are quite understanding of, of that though in the UK they because be. they, they know that it's not me that's charging more. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting any more money. I'm just, it's the thing costs more. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've, we're sadly going to just have to keep on getting more and more used to.
1: Suckers. Um, yeah little things that i I really appreciate is um uh just reliable customer service is like a huge thing for choosing a company if i have a breakage or if i have an issue i want to be able to talk to a person and i want to be able to get an answer for like when can i get it repaired or replaced um I'm very understanding and flexible when it comes to like manufacturing wait times because, you know, the world is ridiculous. But if like if something that I already bought breaks and you can't even like tell me anything about like repairs or whatever, that's that's probably not a company I'm going to want to deal with again.
0: Yeah, I think if your studio has a replacement and repair or replacement repair policy, which you absolutely should have on paper before you need it. that can help me determine whether or not I'm going to work with a company is I'll contact them and say you know what is your policy with this so I can see if it aligns with what I um, can deliver mm. um, to my clients because I, I can't be promising them something that I actually can't do for them at all um so that's another thing to reach out and ask about is what's your policy if this happens or can I access it or is it displayed on your website you know?
1: oh you know what else drives me nuts too when there are slight variations on like true sizing like, if you order a, a shaft length and, like, one company is consistently, like, a quarter of a millimeter different than every other company, like, that stuff bugs the shit out of me. If I order a quarter inch, I want to get quarter inch from basically any company, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so enough of that talk. It's another one. Disinfection. Somebody was asking, like what's the frequency of how often you're doing certain things in the studio so i think the easiest way to break it down is to just say that something that i, I terminology i picked up from you when we were doing that app class on disinfection for the online curriculum and what year was that 2020 or 2021
0: You know, it must have been
1: 2020. okay well the 2020 app online curriculum we did a, a disinfecting class and if you take the the bloodborne pathogens um you know training through the app website, there's still little bits of the uh, bits of the, the disinfection class that we prepared like in there, but you want to understand that sometimes it's um, schedule based and sometimes it's event based. So, like the difference for that would be let's let's say disinfecting the, the piercing area like the surfaces in the morning. Before we open, before our first client, we'll disinfect the countertops, the instrument trays, and the client table every time because that gives us a clean start for the day. We want to make sure that there's no dust, you know, a random bug didn't fly in at the night and walk all over the instrument tray or something. Like we want to disinfect first thing, so that will be scheduled maintenance. Um, other scheduled maintenance would be like we we mop our floors at the end of the day every day we uh, clean and disinfect the floors um, we empty the trash at the end of every day so that's all schedule based stuff. Event based stuff would be like the disinfectant that you that you do between clients uh, or if you have like some sort of a, a little accident or something you know like somebody contaminates a surface by touching it what do you need to do
0: just be neutral i'm going do your mascara
1: okay oh i hate eyeball stuff so much <laughs> this is terrible um
0: doing it really light
1: do you have a different way to articulate that concept
0: not really i think it, it is really simple that it's it's both schedule based and event based so you have schedule based cleaning but drop blood falls on the floor you don't say i'm gonna wait till six because that's when we do that yeah. you deal with that instantly yeah um, and one of the, the things that I was thinking about, cause at the time I was working completely alone is what would it be like if I was working with other people and when you're working with other people, especially you can't just like do things whenever you feel like it, because that can throw off your coworkers. They're not going to know what situation the studio's in when they arrive. Mm-hmm. So with schedule based cleaning, um, and having it really be like as rigid as possible, um, to maintain, you know, allowing for. You know margins of error and, and late running and that kind of thing um it should be happening at the same kind of times the same procedures every day so same that um yeah. if, a, if a staff member because I, I know it's again more so in america studios can be open really late mm-hmm. so i'm imagining that you can get piercers who work split shifts or yeah, you know, sure. come in later so if someone's coming in they need to know what condition the business is in what so that they should be expecting a standard it could be that they come in and everything's a shit show and it's their job to clean the shit show mm-hmm. but they need to know that um because if you're just doing things whenever you feel like it how are your coworkers supposed to know um what level everything's at and i think for for health and safety and for consistency with client care You should be able to look at your surroundings and be like i know when the last place when the last clean was even if it wasn't me that did it because i know this person did it i know when they did it yeah um so i think that even though it's it's not you know it's dry material it's not the most exciting part of the job it's really important and very helpful
1: well another thing especially in an environment where you have multiple staff members because you know some some studios very small staff members maybe it's an owner operator one person show kind of thing but I think a lot of studios will have it, it at least more than one staff member if not more than one piercer um, you need to you need to disinfect an area within like a reasonable amount of time after the service is performed like it shouldn't be this vague all right I finished the piercing the client left what do you would you lose
0: oh, here they are. that
1: thing that just fell off your lap yeah. um, it shouldn't be like uh, okay the client just left, the, the piercing is performed and oh my god this is terrifying uh, Are you okay. Uh, yeah, but I just I have this terrible feel like you're gonna pinch my eyelid or something. I'm not.
0: I'm really not. That's well, it.
1: Good. Go on, so. I mean, I believe you, but anyway, um, anyway, the point I was making is you finish the piercing, the client's out the door. You should disinfect the area immediately. It shouldn't be like, well, I'm going to stop and take a break for 10 or 15 minutes or check my voicemail or check my Instagram inbox or something because what if you have multiple staff members and they, they just walk right in there and they w- go to touch the instrument tray with their bare hands or they sterilize some packages and they put them on a countertop before they're put away and then they're contaminated. So like you should always clean things in a, a predictable interval as soon as the service is done. You shouldn't ever have a moment where you're like, oh shoot, did I forget to dis... Ah, you're pinching something on the side there. You got you. Um, you know, you shouldn't think like, you know, oh, did I disinfect this or not after the last piercing? Like everything should be really consistent.
0: Yeah, um, for me, opening my own studio really helped uh, make me appreciate that I can't remember shit. I, and like, even though I'm just working on my own, yeah. I leave myself notes and reminders all mm. the time, like every single day. Um, so I, I think, and it's it's the same with lots of studio systems that you think that you, you don't need because you're only small. Um, so you like, oh, I don't need that. You know, I'm just a small studio. That's something that a big studio would need. I've been in that situation a bunch, um, where I'm like, oh, I'll just remember, and it's like, no, I won't. I, I won't remember. Yeah. I can't trust myself to remember anything. So, um, you know, having the same systems in place as a studio with 10 members of staff when you're just one or two people um, isn't isn't overkill. It can yeah. actually make your day run a lot smoother and and just make one less thing that you have to think about, which yeah. we could all we could all use.
1: Well, another really important thing, too, is if you're in a studio with more than one, if you're not just the sole proprietor, owner, operator, um, every single person that would work in that area, but even just enter that area, every single person needs to know how that area can be interacted with and how it needs to be cleaned. Um, You shouldn't have a staff member. Like, like, let's say in my studio, I have, uh, you know, Lily who does tool processing and packaging, things like that. And if she goes to to take one of those items that she sterilized in the, the sterilization area and goes into the piercing area, she needs to know, okay, I can put this down on this counter because it's been disinfected between every single use by Evan or Ryan and not just like this vague, like, I don't know where I can put this. I don't know what I can touch. I don't know what's clean. I don't know what's contaminated. Like you, anybody entering a work area needs to know all those safety concerns and it should be... Uh, a, a trained thing, and, and a documented thing. Mm. This is so terrifying. No, it's not. To you, it's not! You... You have tweezers next to my eyeball.
0: Cut off people's skin. Just cut it off. You just cut, you just cut it off. How is this scary?
1: It's not their eyelids. <gasps> oh man, this just feels like I have glue on my face. Um, shit, I feel like there were other subjects that we yeah, didn't write down no they're what we got them all no yes
0: well we didn't get um industrials yeah
1: did we talk about industrials no let's talk about industrials
0: they were like a whole thing um
1: this is your handwriting you wrote this down so industrials what about them um number one thing i want to say about industrials is if it's two piercings that's two needles that's not one needle, no matter what. And a, a really good point that you brought up that I never, ever thought about, because it was never articulated this way, was it's not because of germs and bacteria. Like, your argument against using two needles for an industrial shouldn't be, well, it's that one person's blood, like, where's the safety issue? It's the degradation of the sharp end of the needle.
0: Well, it's also the the bacteria as well.
1: That you're driving yeah. into the...
0: Yeah, like taking a contaminated needle. We we actually, you and me talked about this a couple of weeks ago, remember? So, when you pierce somebody, their skin isn't sterile. Yeah. No, it's disinfected. Yeah. But it's not sterile. So, there's yeah. a reduction of bacterial life, there's not complete destruction of it. Mm-hmm. So, when you pierce into someone, the needle becomes contaminated, not just with what's on the inside, but what's but what on was the outside. on the skin. And then, by taking the same needle and driving it into another point of skin, you can be injecting very deeply into the body. Um, bacteria that was left on the surface, no. and that can cause really serious infection, even if it's on the same person. A lot of people don't know that.
1: Well, apparently, I didn't. We talked about it! Yeah, I know, I know, I, know. Uh, <laughs>
0: but, I knew it.
1: but also, another factor is uh, you know, there are some studies that you can look at online. Brian Skelly has shared some, I've talked about some in my, my bevel theory classes. Um, the needles degrade really quickly. Mm. The reason they're so sharp is because the cutting edge is very very thin which means it's very very fragile so if you're pushing that through a client when it exits it's going to be degraded to a point maybe not to the point where you can see it with the naked eye which is right where you're putting that tool
0: I got thought one of your eye- eyelashes isn't behaving itself well uh,
1: so you know you might not be able to see that degradation with the naked eye but it's definitely there Uh, And then if you use that same needle to drive into another uh, part of the body, you are potentially and significantly increasing the tissue trauma. Um, So, you know, just don't. Don't. Just don't.
0: Stop it.
1: Stop it. Cut it out. Don't you dare. Um, Yeah, one needle, one poke. What are some other tips that we can give people in an audio format for industrials?
0: Well, um, industrial piercings break a lot of rules. There's a lot of, I'm going to put my pinky up here. Like piercing
1: um, non-perpendicular. Inside. Yeah.
0: Um, and I actually remember because it was the first class that we ever taught together years ago at UKPP. Um, I, I made like some little short videos because I'd never taught a class. So I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. So I made some like little short videos of me doing piercings so that I could like, demonstrate the thing and it was super awkward because i was like presenting in the video and also in person because i didn't know it was just going to be a video presentation yeah. so i was just like that's me in the video also i definitely um, have
1: something in my eye on the side okay, okay, it's okay. very unpleasant feeling. all right it's just your um,
0: your your eyelashes it's, like, a, a,
1: like it's just a bumblebee it's just a bumblebee in your eye is that not better
0: where is it in my eye. I can't. There's nothing in your eye. I can't
1: see my eye. Is it I the don't... top or the bottom? I, I have absolutely no idea in reference.
0: Is that it? I just pulled off a little fluff.
1: Yeah. Okay. I guess it was the fluff.
0: Okay. There you go. Okay.
1: Thank you. Okay.
0: Um. So yeah, I did the I did the video, and I remember saying like, this is one of those piercings where like everything. That you learn and everything that you're taught about piercing you just kind of have to like throw it all away Mm -hmm. pretend it doesn't matter because you you break a lot of those rules with industrial piercings um you know unless you happen to have a large client base of people with perfectly circular three-quarter circle upper ears yeah um you're going to be piercing against tissue that isn't perpendicular or that sorry you're going to be piercing into tissue angles that aren't um at a right angle to the skin um which definitely makes the piercing a lot more challenging.
1: I think it's it's less about the the overall angle of the ear, and it's more about like the depth angle of each individual piercing, where you're not like lifting and pulling the ridges of the ear uh, in, into an unnatural position. Does that make sense when I say yeah. it like that? Because part of the part of the questioning for for this for this uh, submission was like that they have constant pressure bumps and irritation and they're more prone to irritation, but I would totally disagree because like, I don't, I don't see those issues with industrials. And I think it's just because I've kind of learned through trial and error that it's really important to keep the ear in a natural position when you, when you pierce it, like the, the bar shouldn't be bending or, or pulling or folding their ear. Their ear should still be in a completely natural position once the jewelry is in.
0: Well, you know, I think that that concept of, pierce the ear in a completely natural unrestricted position is what caused um the development of industrials that are pierced with two separate bars Mm -hmm. and i started piercing that way because that's the way that i was instructed to and so for years i pierced industrials with two separate bars you know let it heal come back in six to nine months get your your long bar fitted um and uh I can't even remember for what specific reason. I think it might have been working with another piercer. I eventually switched over to just doing them um, with the one long bar to begin with. And I can't say that I noticed like a significant rise in them failing or not working out any more so than having the two separate ones, because the two separate ones, Would be at just as much risk of getting knocked and bashed around or um, being pierced at angles that weren't entirely comfortable or pleasing that's just as possible to do with two bars as it is with one Um, so it's it's a really challenging piercing to do and i think that the two bar method i don't i wouldn't say people to not do it if they want to do it but it's like a trick that doesn't really work you know Mm. people think we'll do this and nothing can go wrong and you're like no everything can still go just as wrong um so
1: i would say don't do it. I, I would say don't do it. Like, there's no safety risk to doing two, but I, I just don't think you're going to get the healing result that you want yeah. um, as, as consistently as you can get by just piercing it with one bar. Because if you leave those two individual barbells in for the six to nine months, like, if we're talking about a rim of an ear where it's impossible for the, those piercings to be perfectly perpendicular to a curved plane where you have to connect a point A to a point B... Like if you put in two individual little barbells, I think gravity will just kind of like pull them into a slightly more perpendicular angle. So if you're if you want something that connects point point A to point B, they both might heal with like their own individual angles. And then when you go to like put in a a barbell, then you're kind of forcing those healed piercings into an unnatural position. I do your lips now. Okay, could you pierce?
0: No, just be like natural like that.
1: You realize that you have to do all the talking there, right? What else can I
0: say about industrials?
1: You don't know, have to talk to about industrials. Talk about whatever. I, I like
0: industrials.
1: Do my lips, but you got to talk the whole time you do. Go. Okay. Hi. Um. Not so easy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> not so Let easy to fill me. air. Let me
0: check. That's
1: me. all the subjects. You can, you can look, but I'm going to uh, look at the, my little list.
0: Um, well, there was one other thing um, that we were going to talk about, but I can't remember what.
1: Because you didn't write down. No. I. Something about logic.
0: I can't remember what question it came from. Like I have the subject, but not the question that people, that the person asked.
1: Professionalism.
0: Yeah. It, it was about like, um, you know, presenting yourself as, you know, professional and, and being seen that from way. Growing a
1: studio. Um, okay. You, you do that. I'm going to scroll through here, but you got to talk a little, at least talk about something else.
0: Okay. Um, Well, I know that when we were talking about subjects to discuss and and it came up with the subject of professionalism, I can't remember exactly what question it came from, but it was about the fact that a lot of piercers don't really know how to present themselves um, as like professional business people in whatever sense that means um, like those are skills that they haven't developed at all even if they're amazing at piercing um, and that's something that can become highlighted when you start working for yourself whether it's being self-employed or running your own business um, if you've only ever worked for someone else or if maybe you're working for someone else and you're not happy with their level of professionalism you want to represent yourself differently um, a lot of people come to piercing through irregular routes of education. So people will enter the industry with all different skill sets and a lot of the time they've never been in a position where they've had to write a CV or a resume. They've never done that before. They've never had to build a website. They've never had to decorate a space they've never had to to make a form um, you know it's a simple thing but i've been through like multiple drafts of my consent form in my studio for all various reasons but one of the biggest reasons is just making it the easiest to understand and the easiest to read um, making sure the terminology is something that can be understood um, so those kinds of things really um, what are some of the ways that you would say uh, a piercer i don't want to say a young piercer a piercer of any age could um, present themselves maybe a little bit more professionally. Is there anything that you see them doing repeatedly where you think in your head, like, oh, I
1: will... OK. So you've done my lips. But uh, cost cutting and like making your money work for you as a profit. And like I don't want to talk about jewelry or any of that stuff, because like you have to make your own determinations based on like, what you need in the studio, and you're doing more lift stuff, aren't you? Yeah. OK. okay. Is that it, lips?
0: them together. Do you like a, a kind of open mouth kiss on the hand, like mm. open
1: mouth. Yeah. Good?
0: Yeah, it just takes off the excess.
1: Okay. Anyway, but really like more um, how, to, how to cut costs safely. And the, the, the big thing is like buying bulk. I, I've talked to some other piercers who have said the, the same kind of phrase of like, I'm jealous of your storage space. And I realized that not all studios have
0: Us the top. Can I? Yeah. Okay.
1: Not all studios have space to store like cases of gloves and, and all those things. So I understand if you don't have the space for it. But if you do have the space for it, like invest in, in material because um, having to pay for shipping every month on something, you know, uh, or not not taking advantage of price discounts, not taking advantage of um, sales through different distributors. You know, if there's a sale on some of your disposables or on gloves or something like that, like stock up, You know, get three months or six months worth of gloves at a time, especially with market fluctuations because of like the pandemic and everything. I was buying like absurd amounts of some of my PPE for a while. And that really helped. Um, Trying to avoid like seasonal price hikes by buying your stuff in off seasons, all that stuff can help. Uh, and just be frugal, you know, like wait for sales on things like aftercare. Like I really only buy aftercare when they're having a sale and then I stock up on a bunch of it and I sell it off.
0: Um, For me, like I had a lot of problems that are like different to the ones that you had during the pandemic in that, um, you know, we were in and out of lockdown and you would get very, very little notice as to... When you'd be opening when you would be closing and that would basically put like a padlock on your spending in the sense that you're like cool i only have enough money to pay rent Mm -hmm. i can work for more money but if i'm not allowed to work i can't do that so i have to keep this money so like there would be this thing of you would be too scared or just not able to invest in bulk and that was like a really really difficult time Mm -hmm. i think um, if you don't have anything there to start with it can be really difficult to do that bulk buying. So in those situations, I would just say, look at, literally sit down, look at your statements, look at your accounts and trim back things that are not essential to the safe running of the business. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what those things might be.
1: Well, it'll be different from
0: studio, for, to, studio. For studio to studio, but um, that was what I had to do. Like I, I would sit and go through and be like, well, I don't, I don't need this thing to, to do my job safely. And well, it's just a thing that I like.
1: Right. And we all Or have... like you don't need a new set of cabinets. If you have functional cabinets when what you really need is I need a case of disinfectant. I need a case of gloves.
0: Yeah. So that was my way of, of working through that problem is what do I need? Uh, and, in, and in the quantities as well, um, a lot of people don't pay a huge amount of attention to how much stock they have. You look and you see a few boxes, but some boxes have 200 things, two, some boxes have 50, some boxes have 100.
1: Well, so- here, here's here's a quick thing before I lose it, is um, par systems have helped me like a huge amount. And I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about jewelry. I'm talking about like, how many, how many boxes of gloves do you need in a studio for any given amount of time? And that's like, you know... It's going to be a vague question, yeah. um, but like you and your studio, you know, okay, I expect to offer this many client services during this much time. I need this much PPE to be able to do it, but you need to be able to have those numbers. If you're a new startup or if you're like rapidly growing or if you're changing studios, I understand that you might not be able to have that, those kind of analytics. But if you've been in business for more than six months with any sort of like consistency, you should try par systems for we want this many boxes of sterile saline wipes in stock. We want this many um, you know, boxes of sterilization pouches or any sort of product. Because if you're overbuying when you don't need to overbuy, with the exception of like, okay, uh, if I'm going to buy like my arm sleeves, my plastic disposable arm sleeves for reprocessing, I'm going to buy those in bulk because I know I'm going to be using them for quite a while. But then at, at the same time, if it's something like, Saline wipes or, or whatever. Like, I don't need five cases of those because I'm going to have that for five years.
0: Yeah. Um, well, for, for me, like, I've benefited massively from having a power system, and I resisted getting one at all for like the first year or so. Well, the first year I was open, it was the pandemic, but I kept telling myself, I don't need one because I don't have enough stuff. I don't have enough stuff to need one but like that was exactly what I needed because I had so little it really mattered where I spent my money Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I actually did the power system that I realized that I was doing that thing where maybe you have 60 librettes in one size and five in another but you're still buying in 20 of each yeah there's there's no sense in that. So, so it's very, even if you have very little money and very little resources, it can be really helpful. Maybe
1: we should explain what a par system is if people aren't used to it. It's
0: a stock a stock counting system, a stock managing yeah.
1: system. It'd be really simple to say, like, if you're if you're thinking about librettes or whatever the widget is in your studio, if you know you need 20, um, but you only have six in the studio, you know you need to order 14. You know, it's as, it's as simple as that. And, like, sometimes your par system can fluctuate based on, Uh, turnaround time like you know par systems with jewelry with more than like a a one month wait time can be challenging
0: it's going to be a spritz well what i actually found helpful as well I do record you can, you can have a par system on paper I used to have a laminated par system in my old studio um, now I have a digital one but you can have one on paper as well so it doesn't have to be super intimidating and even though I keep an actual number count I also use color coding because numbers on screens melt my brain so I have um, like red orange green so um, I'll highlight all of my boxes green and then when I do my, my update at the end of each day or whatever it is you're doing yours if something is down where i have you know a moderate amount it will change to orange if something is down to i really need this thing it's red Mm -hmm. so if i have to make a fast order i open up my screen i don't see a 100 numbers that melt my brain i see six red boxes and that's exactly what i get
1: they're also in i don't know how it is over here but in the states different pos systems will will automatically do par systems for you um, for jewelry, that can be great, but I, you know, I, if you simplify it to something like your disposables in a studio, your PPE, all, all that kind of stuff, um, a par system can be really handy because, you know, if you if you are just arbitrarily ordering 20 of everything every time when you only needed five of this, yeah. three of this, but 20 of this, you're wasting your money it's, on a lot of it, those other things.
0: I mean, some people would look at it and think like, oh well, you know, I'll use it eventually, and you're like. That would be true if you were in a financially stable position but if you're in a really really tight financial position you should be targeting your spending in the most specific way possible to yeah. generate as much money as you can without giving up you know your rent money you know the, the absolute yeah. fundamental things that you if you
1: need. look at it as like you know you have That's arbitrarily, $1,000 a month or something like that. And with that $1,000, you're buying things that you're going to use like this. You're going to use it all up within a month. This thing, it might take you eight months to use it up. This other thing might take you 18 months to use it up. That's kind of a waste of your money. Like What I would rather see is you take that $1,000 and you spend it on things that you need in a short term. That you can continuously roll, uh, you know, roll your money over, sort of a thing. I don't want to have to make long-term investments of things that I don't need right now, unless it'll save me a lot of money with like bulk or shipping, or I got some like great deal or something like that. Like I don't want to spend um, next year's money right now. I want to spend this year's money on this year and make back my money this year.
0: So I think if the question is how can you save money, you know, in a safe way without cutting corners question would be what position is it that you're in are you having a short-term crisis are you looking at um, like a long-term investment in your business it it really depends on what it is that your situation is but um, I think that it definitely helps if you don't have one in place even if you even if it just feels like you have eight bits of jewelry and a box of gloves to just record what you have because instantly it started saving me money and it was I felt so silly for not doing it sooner um and also having a, a good idea of how many piercings you can do um but, and, and what i mean by that is what i was saying earlier you know how some boxes have 50 gloves and your your you know skin wipes might have 200 in a, in a box and then you might have a hundred saline wipes in another box you know you're looking at those three different boxes they don't equate to the same number of things so do a quick workout in your head of how many piercings could i do today how many on average do i do a week and a month how long will this pile of stock last me um, that can be really helpful as well because there have been times where I felt like I had very little to work with. And then when I've actually worked out, I've gone, okay, well, I can pierce, right, two, weeks I can pierce 200 people. Mm-hmm. I'm just working on my own and with the restrictions and things that I'm under, that's actually going to last me, you know, a lot longer than what it feels like looking at that small amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think getting to know really, really intimately what it is you have to work with. Um, is a really good thing as well for helping you not panic buy yeah. I think that's what it is people are doing a lot of the times they're panic buying yeah and they're buying the wrong stuff
1: or they're just kind of um, repeating a pattern
0: yeah yeah. Like to, to create a sense of safety, yeah. I'll just get more of what I always get.
1: Every time I order, I get this, yeah. but your needs might change, especially if you're kind of one of those people where you transition from like lots of tool base to like less tool base, you're not going to need to continuously buying the same amount of sterilization pouches and this yeah. and that. Like your needs will change over time, so your order should change over time and you shouldn't be wasting your money by ordering things you don't need right now. Yeah. Unless you get a really good deal on it and then buy and save and store. Um, I don't want to talk about piercing anymore.
0: No, we're yeah. all done with your face.
1: This is melting my brain. Hi, look how gorgeous I am. Huh? Huh? How's this? It's very nice. Thank you. Well, you say something. Get in, Get up in there. Hi, folks.
0: Hello. Hello.
1: Uh, so, thanks for doing my makeup.
0: You look very nice. Thank you. I'm taking a picture of
1: you. Okay. Um yeah. So thanks for listening to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. Um uh wait (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. Lola's gonna have a class about bridge piercings ready for this fall. Uh so if you're going to be at the BMX Net Conference in Germany or the UK app conference in uh, Manchester, you can look forward to those. I'll be at those same conferences boring you with my normal stuff. Um Are you gonna
0: come to my class?
1: Yeah, I'll probably come to your class. You gonna come to my class? Okay, well then, yeah, it's fair. Uh, Patreon, I've got that new needle bending video, and I've also got a new video that'll probably be out by the time this podcast is out about VCH piercings. Um, And I've got some other stuff worked out, and I'm going to work on an anodizing video. We're going to be on the APP online curriculum stuff later uh, later this year. But anything else you want to talk about?
0: I want to do that thing like um, what dogs do on Instagram where it's like...
1: (laughs) You wanna do the AMSR or just breathing? Just
0: AMSR. <laughs> Sniffing. Sniffing. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thanks for uh listening slash watching the the Piercing Wizard podcast. Um Lola's on Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm on I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Ryan's Instagram sometimes too.
1: Yeah. Bye. Bye.